talking today on a Friday. Good Friday, too. It's one of those days where you wake up. Now, I don't know about you. Today, um, it's just, you know, it was cooler out, got up and went to the gym, worked out again this morning. And I feel pretty good, which is nice. Always love that. Love that feeling, that endorphin feeling. But uh, wake up today knowing that next week is going to be a really cool week of broadcasts. It's almost like you just can't get here fast enough. Now, I know people say, well, it's because you're going to warm weather. Yeah, but L.A.'s not, uh, L.A.'s like a different world right now with all the mandates and everything that they have. So it's not going to be an easy kind of trip, but still looking forward to it. But I'm looking for, we started going through things uh, last night, myself, Kristen, Mike uh, Clemens, Erica. We started talking about uh, all the different things that we want to do, we want to bring to you. Uh, so we got into that discussion a little bit last night. So there's just a lot of cool things, I think, that we want to go see that we can kind of show you through through our eyes and through social media what it is we got going on. So hopefully, if you're if, if indeed you are not of the warmest, that at least uh, you can live a little vicariously through us. And we're really looking forward to the buildup uh, coming next week from Radio Row and from doing the broadcast out in L.A., getting ready for Super Bowl. So... Uh, we got all that coming up. However, in the meantime, we got a lot going on today. We are going to hear from Mo Egger uh, of ESPN Radio down in Cincinnati. We'll get the thoughts uh, as Cincinnati has announced that they are not going to be a, a part of opening night in L.A. They're going to be a part of it. They're just not going to L.A. Because it's virtual again this year, Cincinnati has decided not to fly in until Tuesday uh, to come in, get into the hotel, and then polish their game plan on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, leading up to the Super Bowl on Sunday. So they're going to stay home. They are actually having a pep rally in Cincinnati at Paul Brown Stadium on Monday night. So that will be what's carried on the NFL Network, which is a little weird because it's two years in a row now. Because remember, last year, Tampa Bay, they obviously hosted. They didn't have to travel. They were at home. So they were there for opening night, which, again, was virtual last year. But the Kansas City Chiefs decided not to come in until Tuesday as well. They did the same thing at home. So opening night, which is usually the kickoff of pageantry and pomp and circumstance for Super Bowl, has really been shelved, for lack of a better term, until the pandemic ends. So Cincinnati's going to be at home. So we'll get to Mo Egger's side of things. We are going to talk a little warmer weather, but not about L.A. We're going to talk some Daytona. Harley-Davidson's, Bike Week, all that kind of stuff. Uh, some Super Bowl entertainment. Uh, what's it like to play at Super Bowl? Uh, we're going to talk with Jesse James Dupree, the uh, lead singer from the band Jackal, who is also heavily involved with many uh, Harley dealers throughout the country, but obviously right here in our own backyard as they do the uh, what's called the Hometown Rally every year and has a real special place in his heart for Harley-Davidson and veterans and a lot of the charities. So... Um, we're going to talk with him coming up in the next hour as well. So that's around the corner. So a lot of good stuff coming up today. A lot of good stuff coming up today. Uh, in the meantime, you talk about a train wreck. So the Jacksonville Jaguars have found their man. Doug Peterson. Doug Peterson is going to be um, the new head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, Byron Leftwich was really kind of set to be the next head coach. And he pulled his name out of the running and said that, look, the, the GM, Trent Balky can't work with the guy. Uh, he didn't give a lot of specifics, but just basically, I can't work with this guy. 
Uh, he talked about, you know, the, the problems that have been plaguing Jacksonville and such for a while uh, and said, look, th- this is this is not the guy that I want to work under. This is not the guy that I want to evaluate the talent. It's just it's not been good. Let's start fresh. And uh, so he said, I, I don't want to be a part of this organization. And a lot of people in Jacksonville, Jacksonville Jaguars fans, wanted Byron Leftwich to be the next head coach. They have taken to social media, and they are roasting, roasting the owner, Shad Khan. They are just roasting him, uh, basically cho- choosing Trent Baalke and all the problems that he's had in choosing talent over a new head coach. So now you got Doug Peterson, who I, I guess says, yeah, I can work with Trent Baalke, and walking in there, and uh, Baalke, um, yeah, he's going to keep his job, obviously, but I wonder how much concession there's going to be for Doug Peterson, who spent 10 years in the NFL and mainly as the backup uh, in Miami and Green Bay, Philadelphia and Cleveland as well, and uh, obviously wins the Super Bowl in in Philadelphia. But uh, Ben, I'll go to Ben Kenny because Ben, are you glad to see Doug Peterson back in the uh, in the NFL and this time in the AFC? Thrilled. I was, I mean, a lot of people are reacting like they settled for him. I, I think next to Flores, he was the most qualified guy that was available this offseason. I uh, with with recent credential, absolutely, absolutely, and you know uh, one of the other things that Leftwich cited was that Balky is a meddler. So now I wonder, knowing what what Doug Peterson went through in Philadelphia with the meddling from the front office, I wonder how much of that he's going to have to put up with. In, in Jacksonville. And I, I'll tell you this, I, I agree with you. I think Doug Peterson's a, a good head coach and very innovative and, and very, he was, he was the guy really that started going for it on fourth down. He kind of led the analytics in the charge for, Hey, if you're in that no man's land, go for it on fourth down, quit punting the football, you know, start, start going for it, start having some cojones. And he started doing that. And uh, I, I look at Leftwich though, saying that, you know, Hey, I, <laughs> I give him credit because there's only 32 of these jobs out there, and he had one. I mean, it was in his hands, and he said, no, I don't want any part of this. So I don't know if it's going to turn out to be career suicide for him as far as him getting another head coaching gig, but he he just said, no, there, there's no way I want any part of this. So does it give you pause for concern that Doug Peterson has taken a job that Leftwich, who everybody wanted to take that job, said, no, I don't want any part of that? No, because Peterson, as you said, a lot of experience in front office meddling and trying to tell you what to do. He also is experienced going into somewhere with a talented young quarterback and succeeding an absolute fail of a college head coach. First it was Chip Kelly, now it's Urban Meyer. So he kind of knows knows what's going on. He's also a culture guy. Like If you put someone in there, like the players love him. He's someone who can get a locker room behind him. I feel like he's the right guy. Doug Peterson replaces Urban Meyer, as you mentioned, who the uh, Jaguars fired with cause uh, on December 16th. He went 2-11, committed a string of embarrassing missteps that included a couple of viral videos of him behaving inappropriately in a restaurant uh, with a woman who wasn't his wife and reports of him uh, berating his assistant coaches, uh, the hiring of a strength coach who was accused of making racist remarks and bullying black players at Iowa. And the Jaguars have had just one winning season since 2007 and have lost 10 or more games in 10 of the past 11 years. Now, the Jaguars, by the way, finished 3-13 and last year and have uh, the first pick in the NFL draft again this year. 
Their combined record in the past two seasons is 4-29, and 29, which includes a 20-game losing streak that is the second longest in NFL history. First of all, there's really nowhere to go but up when you say that. Secondly, with all, this is why you got to look at Trent Baalke. All the draft choices they've made, all of them, everything they brought in, and this team cannot get winning. They've had 10 of the last 11 seasons where they've had 10 or more games that they've lost. That's awful. I mean, that is beyond craptastic. I, that's a word that I can't even use on the air. That's how bad the Jacksonville Jaguars are. So Doug Peterson can't go anywhere but up, but that goes back squarely and points the finger at Trent Baalke saying, look, this guy can't evaluate talent either. And maybe that's one of the reasons that uh, Byron Leftwich said, hey, I'm, I don't want any part of this. If this guy's going to be here, this guy's an idiot. Uh, he, he's nothing more than a yes man to the owner, and I don't want to want any part of this. So uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens down in Jacksonville. But yeah, fans took to uh, <laughs> fan took fans took to uh, to social media to just absolutely crush ownership of the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars. So there you go. Uh, also, uh, our buddy uh, Eric writes, uh, "Hey guys, uh, after reading everything that was stated on Capitol Hill yesterday regarding Daniel Snyder, do you think?" The NFL will force him to sell his team. I it, it depends on where this goes. If this is it, then this was surviving the storm, and it will become white noise in a month, which is a shame, but it will. If this is taken further, as the uh, as yesterday was stated that they're going to look into possible criminal charges. Uh, against Daniel Snyder and the uh, and, and the culture that he put together, if, if this goes further, then yeah, then you know, yeah, Daniel Snyder might be forced to sell the team. You know, um, Washington Manor's owner uh, owner Daniel Snyder has say in whether the findings from the NFL investigation uh, are released. The committee. So to explain this to back up yesterday um numerous women coming out of the Washington football team then the Washington Redskins now the Washington Commanders uh took to Capitol Hill and the House Committee for Oversight and Reform um released a second document yesterday that shows how the team requested a quote written investigation from Beth Wilkinson's law firm when she was hired to conduct an internal investigation of the team now the NFL may not be able to publicly release the findings of its internal investigation of the Washington Commanders without the explicit explicit permission of the owner according to the documents that were released yesterday and this morning by the congressional committee uh, NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell has previously contended that the league cannot release the internal investigation because Wilkinson pretended or presented, I should say, her findings orally. They did not want this is going back to what uh, was tweeted yesterday by Andrew Brandt, that they wanted an oral only description of the investigation. They did not want something written down for all to have because they didn't want it to get out. The documents released this morning were provided by the NFL as a part of the league's response to the congressional investigation into what the committee calls a decades-long toxic work environment under Daniel Snyder. And like I said, five women appeared yesterday, and the women and multiple members of Congress are demanding that the NFL release its report to the public. They are even going as far as to say, if you're not going to give us this, we're going to go after antitrust because this is you're done. 
You're done. During yesterday's roundtable, there was numerous uh, representatives that said the NFL has released reports on Ray Rice, the Carolina Panthers, Deflategate, but nothing, nothing with regard to sexual harassment and Washington. And they are looking for blood. This is not going to go away. If, if they stop here, it'll be something that the NFL survives. But if they don't stop here and continue to press on and the NFL continues to stymie them, this could really end up in an ugly, ugly dogfight. And I have this feeling that, and part of the reason why is because what was originally investigated as a toxic workplace environment and all the problems that Daniel Snyder created, when the NFL got done with their investigation, the only person that got canned was Jordan. And we all know why. Because he didn't like the commissioner, and the commissioner went after him. But nothing else happened, specifically to the owner, Daniel Snyder. Now, Congress is like, no, 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 no. You're not hiding behind anonymity anymore. It's done. You either give us what we want, or we're going to go after your antitrust. And then that's the beginning of the end of a lot of your money. So you better give us what we want. They, The owners may turn around and serve up Daniel Snyder as a sacrificial lamb. And unless you've got a lot of... Uh, behind the curtain there, but for the grace of God, go I. Uh, they may turn around and say, go ahead and give them what they want. Let's get Daniel Snyder out of here. We can, we no longer can can hide this owner who is just such a freaking creep. So we'll see what happens there. But big day yesterday on Capitol Hill regarding uh, regarding the uh, regarding the investigation. Um, Thomas says, have a good time at Super Bowl. Thomas, you the man. We will. Um Nancy says, I like Doug. I think he uh, his new boss is going to be involved more uh, than with the Eagles. Uh, Trent Baalke is just a train wreck. So we'll see if he does become more involved. But I got I to gotta assume if Doug Peterson speaks loudly and says this is a bad environment or becomes frustrated with his situation down there, because Doug has nothing to lose at that point, then you'll probably hear about it, and then it'll really, really, Look bad on uh, on the owner con of the uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, and good morning to all Eric and Dwayne and everybody else over in the uh, Bud Light live stream and everybody watching. Uh, thanks to you for paying attention to us as well. It's the Friday edition of the Bill Michael Show. We're going to step away, take a quick break. We'll come back right after this. This is the Bill Michael Show on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Bill Michaels show on the air. We're glad to have you. This portion of the program brought to you by our friends at Road to Track and Trail. And if you're looking for side-by-sides, if you're looking for UTVs and even sleds this time of year, they got them. Go to roadtotrackandtrail.com right here in Big Ben, Wisconsin. Not only the state's biggest, the world's biggest in the volume that they do. You're talking all kinds of sport vehicles, all kinds of sport vehicles. Good stuff. Go to roadtotrackandtrail.com. That is roadtotrackandtrail.com. Dot com. Joining us now on the hotline, our good buddy from ESPN Radio in Cincinnati, the Queen City, uh, our buddy Mo Egger. And uh, Mo, how you been, pal? Bill, I'm doing great. What's going on? 
Well, uh, a lot of people uh, around the country, not just here or in your neck of the woods, but rooting for Cincinnati uh, for to get their first win. But if I would have said to you a couple of years ago that Joe Burrow coming out of a national title would be leading Cincinnati to a Super Bowl, and oh, by the way, Matthew Stafford would be playing for the Rams and have the Rams <laughs> in a Super Bowl, I think most people would have thought we were smoking more than cigars. But here we are, man. So give us, uh, give us the feel as to what it's like down in the Queen City right now. You know, it's it's all the, the normal things you would expect, excitement, giddiness, happiness, joy. I mean, that, that happens everywhere. But I, I still think there's more than anything just a sense of disbelief. Uh, the, the word that people keep using is surreal. And the, the verbiage that you keep hearing would suggest that most people still can't believe that this is actually happening. And, you know, I, I think when the Bengals drafted Joe Burrow, that's why you drafted him number one overall. You thought this guy could get you to a Super Bowl, and you knew a lot of different things had to happen. This franchise was, was going to, at some point, have to get out of its own way. But for this to happen so quickly, and for this to happen the way it did, you know, they, they won six games in 2019 and 2020. They were... I mean, you know that this franchise has long been a laughing stock. When the Bengals were going to draft Joe Burrow, you heard national pundits openly pleading for Joe to pull an Eli Manning or a John Elway and refuse to come to Cincinnati because a lot of people didn't want to see such a great talent get wasted in Cincinnati because that's been this franchise's reputation, a place where you go to be forgotten. To go from that to... You know, doing what they did at the end of the year, winning the division, and then winning the three playoff games in the manner in which they have, uh, concluding with being down 18 points on the road against the Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes, for, for this team to be here, it, it really is a remarkable story. And, and I, I get the sense that nationally people certainly understand what a remarkable story this is. It certainly is one that uh, is never going to be forgotten here. So, now, coming into this game, I mean, if I have to look at any kind of a matchup, obviously Joe Burrow is fantastic, but that guy got the hell beat out of him against the Tennessee Titans. Now you're going up against Aaron Donald. You're going up against Von Miller, that vaunted front. How in the hell are they going to keep Joe Burrow upright? Uh, they're probably not. Uh, let's just call it what it is. Their offensive line is not good, and that L.A. defensive front is outstanding. And for my money, Aaron Donald is the best player in football. Not best defensive player in football, the best player in football. So you saw the Tennessee game. He got sacked nine times. But none of those pressures turned into picks. Um, and so I think what they've done offensively, and, and to me what makes – what the Bengals have done so remarkable is, I don't want to say they've gotten to the Super Bowl in spite of their offense, but they haven't been carried to the Super Bowl because of their offense. It's been just good enough. And what they're doing is they're trying to hide a bad offensive line. And you can only do so much with that, but you can compound the offensive line issues by turning the football over. And so Joe in that game against Tennessee, the criticism was, well, there were sacks that he took in which he held onto the football too long. And I think that was accurate. But sure beats throwing the football to the other team. And the one thing this team has gotten really good at is not turning it over. They are 12-1 this season when they don't lose the turnover battle. As great as they were at the end of the year, um, offensively, they, they won the, their last three meaningful games. They won in three different ways. They scored 15 against Denver, played field position football. They scored 40-plus uh, on Baltimore, in which uh, Joe Burrow throws for 525, and they just absolutely smoked them. And they came back from down uh, 14 three different times in, against Kansas City in the uh, in week 17. But the common denominator in each of those games was zero turnovers. So far here in the postseason, they've turned it over twice. The Titans' turnover was sort of a fluky interception that I'm not even sure should have been ruled an interception. 
but they don't turn it over. And so Joe is going to get hit, and he's going to get sacked. What he can't do is cause the pressure to force a turnover. And I think, you know, you hate to say that that's their game plan. I think they realize you can't scheme against Aaron Donald and Von Miller. Your QB is going to take some hits. You got to figure out a way to design an offense that enables him to get rid of the football quickly enough, or you simply hope that he doesn't turn it over. And to this point, he's been really good at not turning it over. Joe Burrow is obviously the focus, uh, no doubt about it. But I think if I have to pick an unsung in this, you're going to have to get some good runs out of Joe Mixon to be able to take some of that pressure off of Joe Burrow. We, you know, everybody around the country is talking about Jamar Chase and T. Higgins and what they can do and getting downfield. But you can't set up downfield if you're under pressure, which means you've got to be able to run the football. Joe Mixon is going to have to have some kind of a game. I'm not saying 120 yards and three touchdowns, but he's going to have to at least produce a few runs that are going to make you think every time he has the opportunity to touch the football. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think if you get the game you got from him on Sunday against Kansas City, which was, what, 21 carries, 84 yards, you'll take that going away because yep. they were just good enough to be able to use play action. And, and frankly, Joe, Joe Burrow was not great throwing play action passes against Kansas City, but at least it was in their arsenal. They weren't over-explosive. This is not a great running team. But it has been interesting when teams have dared them to run. And go back to when they played the Steelers at Paul Brown Stadium. The Bengals have obliged. And against Pittsburgh, Joe had a 158-yard day. I think you're right. I, 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 you're, not, you're not looking for Joe to, you know, to bust loose for a buck fifty. That's probably not going to happen. But can he be as productive as he was against Kansas City? And the other thing with him is he's caught 13 passes uh, here in the postseason. And I, I think if you were to ask... Most Bengals fans, God, what's the one area you would like to see them tap into a little bit more, at least during the regular season? It was using Joe as a pass receiver. I think there's going to be opportunities to use him in that way in this game against L.A., and they've already used him in that way here in the postseason and and with a, a pretty decent amount of effectiveness. The defense in the first half of the game against Kansas City, a lot of soft zone coverage over the middle, and Patrick Mahomes picked them apart. Finally, when they went to press man, single high safety, and they really started to rush instead of rush past Mahomes. They just kind of contained Mahomes and then chased him down. What was the switch? Was this something that was planned, or was it just something that they noticed, do you know? I think it's the sort of thing they did on the fly because, you know, if you look at that Kansas City offense during the season, when they got good, when they got hot, they didn't throw it deep downfield all that much, right? And so I think the Bengals went into the game thinking, well, we're going to do what everybody else did. We're going to take away the downfield stuff, and uh, we're going to give them a lot of yardage between the 20s. Well, Patrick Mahomes <clears throat> uh, took advantage of that, and, and frankly, they ran the ball really well as well. I thought it was interesting the Bengals dared Kansas City to run in the second half, and the Chiefs decided, yeah, okay, we're not going to do that. And it was interesting to me because uh, McKinnon and Edwards Hilaire were both pretty effective for, for most of the first half, and they kind of went away from those guys. Those two guys only uh, combined carried it 18 times. But they said from that point forward, you know, once they were down 21-3, all right, look, we've got to make some tackles, and we've got to prevent them from getting open. We can't let them get open and then hope to make tackles and, you know, focus on taking away the deep ball. Uh, they basically said, you know, we're going to challenge you a little bit more at the line of scrimmage. Trey Hendrickson finally got a little pressure. And I think they made Patrick Mahomes just uncomfortable to the point that he forced a few balls that he shouldn't, and they sort of disrupted his rhythm, and they bought some time for Joe Burrow to make a comeback. Uh, B.J. Hill made a great play on a pick from a guy you talk about you don't expect to make a play, and 
you know, by, by the end of regulation and, and by the time they got to overtime, Patrick Mahomes just looked like an entirely different quarterback. He looked completely out of rhythm. He looked completely out of sorts. And he looked completely um, like a quarterback who lacked confidence in his ability to throw the ball into tight windows because the Bengals created nothing but tight windows. Tell me uh, about this situation with uh, Cincinnati and the Bengals wanting to do a, a viewing party and then it got shut down. Or Because I, my whole thing was, Mo, and you, you know, I'm, a lot of my buddies, they all thought if I have to sit out in the cold, pay for beer versus sitting at home or going to, say, you know, the Holy Grail or something or up to the pavilion, they thought, you know what, I'm not sitting out in the cold. So you tell me, how many people would have showed up down at Paul Brown Stadium on a big viewing party had they actually been allowed to have it? I genuinely don't think many would have showed up. Um, I, you know, look, it, it's a taxpayer-funded stadium. I'm all for utilizing taxpayer-funded facilities in every way possible to benefit the greater good. A couple of things about this. Number one, uh, the Bengals' employees are all going to be in Las Vegas. So there's going to be no one to staff it. Now, what are you going to do? Are you going to tell those employees who are planning on going to the Super Bowl that the Bengals are going to pay for? Now you got to stay back and staff an event that we don't know how many people are going to be there for. I just don't know how many people would have showed up. It's a nice idea. It's a nice thought. But I think there are some local politicians who had in their mind's eye this vision of 60,000 people sitting at Paul Brown Stadium in the cold on a Sunday. We have bars. We have plenty of places you could watch the game. The game is on free television. It's not like there's a lot of people who have no access to the game. If you want to see the Super Bowl, you're going to be able to see the Super Bowl. And I'm also a big proponent of uh, businesses that are going to benefit from this game. Let those people that want to go watch the game somewhere besides their house, let them go into a bar where it's going to be much, much warmer. And that will be the case at the Holy Grail. Uh, real quick, uh, two things. One being, uh, so in this game, uh, and I know people in Cincinnati would like to pick the Bengals. Uh, the rest of the world is picking, for the most part, the Rams in a lot of money. But that being said, how do the Bengals knock off the Rams, do you think? I think they're going to have to continue to get contributions from players on defense that, frankly, for much of the season, you really weren't sure if you could count on. And that's been their M.O. here in the postseason. They've gotten great safety play from Jesse Bates. They've won the turnover battle. They're going to have to force some. They've been great at that here in the postseason. And, you know, look, I mean, I, I make a big deal about their kicker, and people laugh at me. Evan McPherson has ar arguably been their most valuable player here in the postseason. It's not just making kicks at the end of games, it's enabling this offense, which has stalled a lot in, in sort of no plan, where with a lot of other kickers, you can't try a 50-plus yard field goal. With him, they've gotten points. I think this game is going to be close, so that could be a major factor. But look, if the Cincinnati Bengals are going to win a championship, Joe Burrow is going to have more to do with it than anybody else, and he doesn't need to go out there and have a 400-yard day. He doesn't need to throw five touchdowns, although that would be great. I think in a close game in the fourth quarter, if you put the ball in Joe Burrow's hands, if you're a Bengals fan, you're going to feel pretty good. And I think this game's going to come down to the last five or six minutes, which means there's a pretty good chance that Joe's going to have the ball in his hands. And again, if he does, if you're a Bengals fan, I think you'll take that. So when does uh, the Mo Egger ship arrive and land out there in L.A.? I will be there Tuesday afternoon. You don't get there? Okay, we'll be there on Saturday. We'll get there. We're leaving for like 6 in the morning on Saturday. 
And so we're going to get the lay of the land, and then uh, you let me know when you get there. We got some things uh, lined up. Now, I know you probably have stuff with uh, the Bengals and your own deal going on, but uh, we've got some pretty cool parties lined up, pal. We've been doing let it Let me a tell while. you something. My, yeah. Let me tell you something. You, you will be shocked at how little I do have going on. So uh, <laughs> you let me know. I will be there Tuesday. We start broadcasting on Wednesday, and uh, you and I will have a laugh at <laughs> Absolutely. Well, well uh, thir- th- th- Thursday night, we, we got the deal. So Thursday night, you you keep open because I'm going to take you to the Cigars with the Stars party. Do I have to pay the 500 bucks admission? No, come on, man. You know me better than that. <laughs> come on, man. I'm not only going to get I, you in. I'm going to get some cigars. I'm with you, I'm like, I'm like, oh, yeah, that. And I looked it up, and I'm like, cool. <laughs> No, 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 no. We're 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 going to that. We're going to that. We've done some stuff with Ditka. He's great. He's been always been really great to us. So we're gonna we're gonna go to that. We've already got a couple of people on the guest list. So you're in, man. The minute uh, the minute McPherson split the uprights, I said, hey, we need to get Mo into the party. So we're good to go. I don't know if I can. I can bring uh, Dan Horde. Lapham may go nuts and start knocking things over. So I don't know if we can bring Lapham, but I, I can bring you guys in. That's for that's. You for know, sure. Dan. Dan. I made Dan take a puff of a cigar after UC. Notre Dame, right? Because we were at that game in yeah. South Bend. Right. And I said I saw to him, that. I want to smoke a cigar in front of Touchdown Jesus, and he did, and he turned green. <laughs> I think if he's hanging out with some of the uh, some of uh, NFL royalty, Dan may 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 suck it up, pardon the pun. So I, I think maybe he'll come in with us. But, hey, Mo, always great to talk to you. I look forward to seeing you out in L.A. Best of luck to you guys. And for God's sakes, if Cincinnati wins, take up a collection. Instead of paying money to open up Paul Brown City, can somebody please buy Mike Brown a new hat? Seriously. Come on. <laughs> The hat, and I mean, it looked like he was wearing Columbo's jacket. So, you know, we're going to have to do something about that for old Mike. That's fantastic. Mo, good to talk to you, buddy. We'll talk to you soon. Uh, Bill, thanks. There you go. Columbo's jacket. That's the best. That's the best. That's the the best one I've heard regarding Mike Brown. Oh, my God. The tight-fisted patriarch of the Cincinnati Bengals. Oh, my goodness. Mo Egger from ESPN Radio in Cincinnati. Good to have him on. Good to have Mo on. Good, good stuff. And yeah, that's that's fantastic. That's fantastic. <laughs> Columbo's jacket. Ah, uh, let's do this. Woefully late for a break. Got to get to it. Hang in there. We got more of the Bill Michael Show coming up next. The Bill Michael Show podcast. Listen, rate, subscribe.